So, Ole, we are back with commodities. We are indeed. It's uh, Thursday already, so uh, it's been a very busy week already. Exactly. And um, you did something I think was quite uh, interesting. You uh, you asked on X, the former Twitter, about what to talk about on today's podcast. So a lot of what we're going to talk about on this podcast is basically driven by the the uh, demand of the people. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, and, and and first and foremost, uh, thank you very much all of you who uh, responded. I mean, uh, this uh, this point, uh, I think more than we have more than thirty eight replies. Uh, so uh, clearly, we as we try to condense our focus to three t- topics, uh, we have uh, plenty for the weeks to come. But it's <laughs> it's also good because it it just also uh, makes uh, forces us to think a little bit outside the box sometimes. So uh, thank you very much for that. So uh, do always keep them coming, and uh, we'll pick them up. But I can s- just uh, to mention some of the topics that uh, has been was uh, talked uh, mentioned this uh, this time round. Uh, I think a lot of you guys really want to know more about uranium. Uh, we talked about that last week, so you can have a have a re- listen to that one. But uh, most certainly something that we need to to revisit, and we can just look at the uh, the spot. Uh, uh, physical uranium trust. It's uh, it, it has been trading at a six and a half percent discount to net asset value for a while, and is actually now uh, back to flat. So it just indicates obviously the, the demand that we're seeing in the uranium space right now. Yeah, and before we, um, I think there's some of the more esoteric uh, topics that people want to hear about: uh, <laughs> rice, oat. There's a lot of food inflation going on. LPG, mm-hmm. liquefied petroleum gas uh, shipping, also pretty esoteric. Uh, Chinese hawks uh, and then tin, but yeah. all, <laughs> but before we before we uh, we dwell into some of the uh, commodity topics, um, we're obviously recording this today on a Thursday, and last night we had the FOMC uh, rate decision, which was basically no decision. So everything we probably we knew that already. So it was about the language, and um, all you said. Peter, we're going to talk a little bit about the FMC, aren't we? Despite this is a commodities um, a commodities podcast, and we can we can just make a f- very quick comment on it. Um, you know, it was a hawkish message. Uh, I think the Fed was also basically uh, fueling the higher for longer. We've seen that across the curve. So longer ended Treasury bonds uh, have uh, posted higher yields and put uh, equities under pressure. And we'll if we look at the SOFA contracts, which is basically the preferred market method to price the Fed policy rate. If we look at the June and the December contract for 24, I think are the two best contracts to sort of get an idea of how the market is thinking about this. They 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 declined yesterday, I basically signaling that, you know, that rate the policy rate will be higher than we thought just a, a month ago. Absolutely. If we look at the, uh, the the spread between December this year and June next year, it's uh, the cut is now down to just one, uh, so around twenty three basis points, and uh, that was uh, what seventy five uh, months ago. If you look at the at the, the December to December country, uh, spread as a whole, so basically whole of next year, it's down to three cuts uh, from again from probably more uh, around double that just a few months ago. So so the market is really betting on on. Um, are trying to buy into the Fed's uh, signal that, uh, that he's aiming for a soft landing. But as um, as uh, there was, uh, I've just put out a gold note this morning. You can find that on on our uh, analysis.saxo. And I'm just referring to uh, the Wall Street Journal's um, uh, Fed whisper, uh, Tim Rouse, exactly, where he says uh, he wrote an article recently why a soft landing could be prove elusive. And as he said, um, planes land, economics. Don't economies don't so wonderful crowd. Yeah, so there's obviously worries that uh, that there could be a hard landing, and I think some of the the, the reactions we've seen in the market, and uh, that's actually taking us into one of the uh, because we're just touching a little bit on on metals because uh, both uh, gold and copper because gold is 
has actually been holding up well once again. And I think what we're seeing here is basically market looking for a hedge against the Fed not being successful. Basically, that a soft landing cannot be achieved because obviously if we do achieve a soft landing, stock markets will do well and you don't really need gold in your portfolio. But if we if, if we move towards a hard landing and driving towards a stagflation, then obviously it be, it's nice to have uh, some tangible assets in your portfolio. And I think that's why we are seeing this underlying demand for gold, even though we got dollarized strength, we got yield strength and uh, so on. Yeah, and and and, and the bet, I guess, on in, in gold is the turnaround in, in real real interest rates right in the US. So if you go back 10, 15 years, every time we had a turning point in nominal interest rates, at that turning point time, we had a real rate in the US that was significantly lower than what we are looking at today. And the the, the debt, the outstanding debt in the world has multiplied considerably in 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 the um in the time that has passed so it it is going to be a quite an interesting um, interesting developments from here in um and I think the landscape all is very difficult and I and I like gold as a as a portfolio a portfolio hedged against you know an uncertainty around the uh, around the monetary policy but I don't know whether you're finished with your comments on no, the pre- on the industrial business or present business. Almost, uh, because I, I think uh, you're absolutely right. And I think just at this point in time where there's no uh, where we haven't potentially not hit peak rates yet, just look at gold as an insurance. Uh, it's not necessarily one that's going to make you a lot of money in the short term, but it's nice to have if something else starts to crack elsewhere. And uh, I just want on gold just to touch base. One of the questions in the that came through the Twitter was uh, this uh, reflection of why we suddenly had a $120 uh, ounce premium uh, of gold trading in Shanghai uh, relative to the international market. And that has been driven by the uh, the government's authority, the, the authorities uh, try uh, attempt to support the currency. Uh, it's basically been reducing access to dollars, and it's been limiting gold shipments into the local market by squeezing import quotas. And that really has that's really the main reason why we've seen this. And I just underline how the, the the gold market in in China is is, is huge. It's it's really a, an attractive. Uh, and many investors use gold as as a way of, of diverting their investments away from from currency risks and so on. But right now it's been made very difficult because of the currency restrictions. So it's not sending a signal as such of of aggressive gold uh, strength. It's more just simply that the government is putting uh, putting obstacles in the way. Yeah, and and um, we we've. Changed the order a little bit here because we went on a on a detour with our uh, with our commentary on uh, on the FMC. So we went into talking about gold, and we have a um, we have one of the three things to talk about today. Obviously, is um, on the metals uh, space, and copper is another thing that is was highlighted by by um, X users that they wanted you to talk about all this. So copper is this very important potentially the new oil of the new age of electrification is a super important metal. So, um, what what uh, what can you say about copper at this point? Because it's are there any clear trends either to either side basically? Well, the clear answer to that is no, and uh, that basically means that the I think the short term risk is maybe that it could suffer from its own success. Basically, its its success in in attractive uh, in attracting demand from uh, investors seeing this long term. Uh, prospect for up, uh, upward prospect for for copper. Um, it's it's the fact that we are we are having this uh, this tightness in the U.S. continuing and the, the dollar strength is basically driving some some profit taking. And we saw gold, uh, sorry, copper drop drop by more than two percent at one stage this uh, earlier today. We're still in the range. It's it's narrowing, so uh, there is a risk. Obviously, every time we get closer to these uh, uh, to these out of bounds, that it, it, we could have a have a have a break. But I think if we do see a a break to the to the downside, it's not because of a long term change in the fundamental outlook. It's simply because the market is 
probably a little bit overstretched in terms of positioning uh, because it is it has is and has been a popular trade to to answer but the timing as as per usual is always very crucial yeah and then one of the things while you chew on all the on all these uh different topics people want you to talk about all it um we going to talk about something we we had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago we talked about the year and year changes in commodities and i think the reason why we're bringing this up again is that one of the topics that powell talked about yesterday as a cause for concern is the development in the in energy market so he he mentioned the strike among uh you know ultra workers in the u.s potentially uh, wage inflationary there but then he talked about these energy prices which acts as a tax but and and it increases this deflation risk uh, basically so um and that's also uh, people can't see this uh, chart you printed out for me it's it's very nice uh, uh, I'll put it on Twitter afterwards yeah you should do that and and you here you can see all the various commodities the major commodities as you call them and and you can really you know as you said we we have definitely moved higher not not as much deflation any longer from the commodity mm. side no exactly I, I'm, I'm just showing 11 here energy and energy metals and agriculture and uh, just a month ago we had nine out of the 11 uh, showing a uh, trading down on the year year and year and since then that has shrunk to six and obviously the the, the three that has uh, come that's uh, been accelerating the past month has been uh, been the energy sector WHI, gasoline and uh, and and diesel and uh, these are really the the main I think the main concerns so you can say there's uh, that some of the some of the concerns is obviously uh, the OPEC supported supply cuts that we are currently seeing which is having this upward impact on prices but energy crude oil it's it's correcting right now is it was long overdue um, is this a, is this the peak Potentially not, because tightness will remain in the coming coming weeks and months. But uh, obviously, with the with the Fed potentially saying higher rates for longer, then there is still an economic risk into next year, and that that potentially could be the one that that changes the narrative in the market. But uh, at this time, I think it is probably more a healthy correction more than anything. Yeah, and then one of the markets that we've talked about a lot, Ole, is the the oil market. And you said there is support there from from OPEC cuts, so that that's very much a political decision. But then. You know, on uh, on X, uh, formerly Twitter, uh, a lot of discussion about these. A um, lot of charts been floating around with you know uh, crude imports in China that they they look pretty rock solid and have gone to new highs. And but then it's quite interesting when you have a when you have a, a Chinese expert on our strategy team that sits out of Hong Kong and we asked him in one of our internal calls. So I mean, what what do you what do you think about these uh, high in, uh, crude imports and are they reflecting real demand or is it just reserve buildup? And he was like, he was pretty hesitant that this was really reflecting a strong demand situation. And if anything from from the Chinese side, it was more that the reason go uh, cr- uh, crude import increases have been more to reserves than 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 actual demand in the industrial sector. Yeah, and uh, also for refineries uh, enjoying the very fat margins that you're currently getting on refining yeah. oil into uh, into products uh, for resale into the global market. So, uh, so yes, that's. Uh, it, I think there's no doubt that uh, the, the U.S. Is, uh, the U.S. and the West ability to impact uh, influence oil prices uh, mostly through uh, releasing strategic reserves is more or less uh, done with the U.S. Uh, reserves being having been depleted as much as they have during the past year. But uh, one one factor we should not rule out is obviously China. It's the biggest uh, importer of uh, crude oil and it's a major co- customer both for Russia and and the Middle East and if they start to protest and uh, either f- verbally or basically from through buying uh, buying less crude in the short term t- taking some out of out of strategic reserves uh, then obviously that would send quite a strong signal to these producers but again it's speculation but uh, potentially that could be one source of pressure on on OPEC plus to change their change that direction if one of the biggest customers starts to uh, to make protests 
Good points there, Ole. And uh, the, the final topic we're going to discuss today in this podcast on commodities is the grain sector. So the uh, the lo- we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, you know, the rallying r- uh, prices uh, on rice, um, and there have been a lot of different uh, um, export restrictions being put on by several countries, uh, including India, etc. And one of the latest moves as well have been something like you, you've talked about orange juice uh, Ule, I think was that was on our first uh, podcast in this new uh, podcast format that we're doing and, and also I've seen prices on olive oil have galloped and and I think this is this is really something to have on your radar in the weeks to come because one thing is the energy prices but food prices is also very very important for you know purchasing power of households and especially in the emerging in the emerging markets and um, so what what What's the outlook on the uh, on the agriculture sector and and maybe grains in particular? And you know there is a lot of these discussions with you know a f- infight between Poland and Ukraine. Ukraine have had a, as far as I understand all a very good harvest. They want to mm. sell that grain to generate uh, revenue, but uh, there is a an election in Poland that is making this difficult. Yeah, the same with uh, Slovakia. I actually just been to Poland and Slovakia the last two weeks on uh, visiting clients and doing presentations. And um, it is a bit of a hot topic because uh, with the Black Sea routes uh, challenged by by say, by Russian uh, Russian military and so on, they they obviously been trying to uh, to uh, double the efforts to send uh, crops out the back door uh, through uh, through the old uh, through Poland and, and Slovakia as, as two major so, uh, transfer routes, and that does obviously add pressure to domestic prices, and that's what they they would like to uh, to avoid. So so that's obviously a bit of a a, a hot potato right now, but. It, But I think when you talk agriculture, Peter, because you 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 you, you mentioned uh, several here, I think it's that's a very distinctive develop, uh, divide right now between grains, which obviously are wheat, corn, soybeans, and the soft sector, which are some of the, those you mentioned, and uh, we can we and, and we can basically see that the the grain sector has been under some pressure this quarter. We are we are we're down quite more than 10%. percent. If you look at the wheat, corn is down as well. Soybeans is uh, more or less. Uh, Trading on chains, whereas the big gains has been in the soft commodities, and which are primarily um, so impacted by the very hot weather in, in Asia, where some of the uh, some of the major growing growing areas. But uh, what we should be looking out for regarding the grain area in the coming months is 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 uh, now that we the the northern hemisphere production season is coming to an end, and yield basically the yields basically ended up being better than originally feared. We need to look at uh, first and foremost the dollar because that's uh, how com- that's just a reflection of how competitive U.S. Uh, producers are on the global market, and uh, they need to export uh, quite a lot. And uh, there, that's where both. Um, so can I just stop you there? Yeah. So what what does it mean? So what does this strong dollar? We have had the dollar rallying basically for half a year now, and we're touching some of the highest levels in in quite some time. So what does that mean for for commodities for those that are not familiar with with commodity reaction functions? What does it mean? With the higher dollar. Well, actually, agriculture is, is one of the uh, is, is one of the very more, almost simplest areas because if you, if you are a wheat farmer in Chicago and you are producing a lot of wheat and you want to sell it to Europe, and uh, but at the same time the dollar is going up, then you need to you basically need to have a lower dollar priced in dollars in order to compete with the price based in Europe uh, in euros over in Europe. So that's why we uh, right now. Uh, U.S.'s main competitor when it comes to corn and soybeans, which are 
massive exports uh, for the U.S. is South America. And uh, the currencies are in, in, in uh, South America, Brazil and Argentina, they are very competitive uh, right now and has been for a while. And uh, and with uh, with China, with trade relations between U.S. and China, uh, not the best they, in, they've been for a while, then then obviously China will probably they'll look to South America, not only because it's, it's relatively cheaper currency-wise, but also due to the political uh, development. So, so the dollar is worth keeping an eye on. And then obviously the weather developments. Uh, I just saw a map from Australia. The uh, the whole country is just absolutely dark red, basically meaning that right now they're getting less than twenty percent of the uh, of the uh, the rain that they had normally have for this time of year. So Australia is a, is a is a major focus as we move into the into the northern hemisphere winter, southern hemisphere summer. And also, obviously, South America. We got uh, some weather formations, La Nina, which is impacting. But apart from that, one asked on Twitter through this uh, my question, um, also what what to look out for. Uh, so uh, basically, apart from the dollar, obviously, just keep an eye on the monthly reports from the USDA. They provide monthly guidance on on the, the report uh, on, on U.S. production yields and inventories, as well as global stocks and production outlook, not least in South America. That report is called WASTI. It comes out once a month. All right, and I think that's uh, that's a wrap on today's podcast. And um, um, yeah, if you want to know more about commodities, you can uh, follow Ulla on on uh, on the social media X. And um, yeah, well, so watch the gold as we are on the other side of this FMC rate decision. Watch copper and its link to China. Watch out the grain sector and generally the commodity markets because that is a potential risk factor for the Fed and goes into this higher for longer narrative. So, and all you and I will be back in a, in a week's time. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.